0: delighted to have conductor, composer, and cellist Kenneth Woods back on Church and Culture. Kenneth was born in the U.S., but he now lives in the U.K. He is principal conductor of the English Symphony Orchestra and guest conducts all over. His activity with the English Symphony Orchestra is really something to behold, and I hope that our listeners might just Google Ken Woods or Kenneth Woods and the English Symphony Orchestra, and you'll get all kinds of great clips, in some cases, complete performances. He's also artistic director of the Colorado Muller Fest, which I've attended, and the Elgar Festival in Worcester, which I have not, which I want to. He conducts, records, and writes. He became known, I think, in the recording world first for his recordings of Hans Gall, but he's gone so far now from that. We'll be talking about that. His blog, A View from the Podium, at kennethwoods.net is always worth taking a look at. He first came on this show to discuss his 21st century symphony project, a set of nine symphonies. Ken, how far are you through that now?
1: We are seven now.
0: Oh, so getting amazing. close. We, to we the we've with, already
1: I think, made plans for a phase two.
0: Um, wonderful. So yeah.
1: we You're going to go Havergal
0: uh, Brian on us, huh? You're going to.
1: We'll uh, we'll do our best,
0: yeah. Uh, And uh, his recording of Christopher Gunning's tenth symphony, I believe, is going to be broadcast soon.
1: Uh, It just been broadcast uh, yesterday on Performance Today, and that's still live on their website on the the catch up um, uh, link there. So I I commend everyone to check that out. Uh, Chris was a wonderful composer who lost last year.
0: Yeah, and. but we're going to talk today about the work of Philip Sawyers. This is, uh, we're going to discuss his, uh, that is Kenwood's sixth recording with the English Symphony Orchestra of, Hun- of uh, Philip Sawyers, who's just a year younger than I am. And uh, he wrote an oratorio entitled Mayflower on the Sea of Time to commemorate the 400th anniversary of the departure of the Mayflower. Now, this there's got to be a story behind how Philip Sawyers became connected with this project, Ken.
1: Indeed, there is. So, as, as you know, and, and sort of mentioned, uh, the Elgar Festival connection, the English Symphony Orchestra is also based in Worcester, uh, Elgar's hometown, of course. And Worcester was one of the cities with a fairly close association to the Mayflower <clears throat> journey. So, there's an organization in town called the Worcestershire uh, Schools Choir Project. And they've been going for about 20 years. And they do wonderful year-long courses where they go into uh, schools, state schools where there's very limited musical provision and work with young people who've never really sung in choirs before. Um, they work in small groups throughout the year and then come together in a huge choir of two to 300 kids. And the amazing thing about this project is that for these young people, most of whom don't have a singing background, they sing major choral works with wow. professional orchestra, professional conductor. Um, and for the last several years, um, that's been uh, directed by the, the chorus master of the BBC Symphony Orchestra. And um, it, it's just fantastic to see the the standard that they can achieve. So, they had never commissioned a work before, and uh, the decision was made that, that that they should, and that they would do something in celebration of the uh, of the 400th anniversary of, of Mayflower. And uh, so, those discussions began with uh, Anne Renshaw, who was the director of the choral program, and. Uh, Neil from the BBC Symphony chorus and uh, because it was you uh, know sort of Neil who would be uh, conducting it uh, originally he requested a uh, a number of you know ideas of, of possible uh, composers both British and American and I sent him a whole bunch of links of, of things to listen to and I was greatly encouraged when he picked uh, my my good friend, Philip Sawyers, who was uh, our composer laureate and, uh, you know, just an absolutely wonderful musician and artist. So Phil got working on the piece in 2018 and uh, finished it in 2019 with the goal of a premiere in April of 2020. Neil Ferris uh, had rehearsals all through that year preparing it. They were just about ready to go. And, of course, uh, you know, you remember that... Uh, April of 2020 was not an auspicious time to be attempting to do huge, large-scale choral works or any kind of concert of any sort. (laughs) So that was canceled and postponed. And, um, you know, by the time COVID had, uh, you know, eased up to the point we could begin to think about doing these things, all the kids who had learned the piece had graduated and moved on. Uh, Neil Ferris had had moved on to the next project. He had to start
0: over again with the chorus.
1: Yeah, so we completely started over. In fact, one of the big challenges for us was to figure out who the chorus would be, because it wasn't going to be the kids anymore. Um, So in the end, we founded uh, our new professional English symphony orchestra chorus who were brought together for the first time for this uh, recording and and performance. So we finally, after all these years, managed to... uh, off a, a performance in Worcester Cathedral in June of uh, 2023, which was recorded and filmed. And it was just, you know, an absolutely incredible experience, and, uh, you know, just totally thrilling and, and so grateful to have done it.
0: Well, Ken, when I saw that you and the English Symphony Orchestra and Chorus have recorded something about the Mayflower, and I'm sitting over here, of course, in the good old US of A. I immediately emailed you I said we've got to do this on the show and you said absolutely. And mm. uh, it's about an hour long. You've you've uh, cut out seven excerpts. And this is really beautiful music. I want our listeners I want our listeners to know about Philip Sawyer's about Ken Woods English Symphony Orchestra and I want you to know about this piece by Philip Sawyer's Mayflower on the Sea of Time because it's about us. It's about our roots. And so what is going to happen in this first segment?
1: Um, This is an introduction to the work, you know, a a setting of the scene, um, and uh, an introduction to the voices of some of the narrative figures, including the pilgrims themselves, who are represented by the the chorus. There's also a baritone soloist and a soprano soloist, in this case uh, Thomas Humphreys is the baritone. April Frederick is the soprano. And they actually fulfilled many different roles of, of, of several different characters throughout. But this is really just a you know, an opening setting of the scene. You'll hear a two note motif in the orchestra, which is the C motive um, that that goes through the entire piece. Um, it's a, a bit like uh a, a very short Wagner opera or something, and that there are themes associated with different ideas which weave in and out of the, the work and, and interact with each other and help you have a sense of where you are. Um, so this is a, a chance to hear the C motive, which is you know one of the most important in the piece, and to begin to get a sense of the mood and the atmosphere and the journey and why the journey is necessary.
0: Well, it's a journey about freedom of faith. So let's listen to English Symphony Orchestra and Chorus conducted by Kenneth Woods in an excerpt from the beginning of Mayflower on the Sea of Time. from Philip Sawyer's Mayflower on the Sea of Time that's the from the opening section entitled Persecution and Journey and that's really powerful music Ken Woods
1: It sure is, yeah, and powerful words as well. The libretto uh, for this is written by uh, Philip Sawyer's longtime partner Philip Groom and he's done a wonderful job of finding the voices of all these distant historical figures and making them you know, very compelling and immediate, and you feel, uh, you know, not just the information of their experience, but the feeling of their experience in both the words and the music.
0: Well, and you have the words there of the best known of that group, William Bradford, from his diary, mm. is included. Now, the second part yeah, is entitled think- Arrival in the New World and the Interactions with the Local Indians. Uh, and i read that some of whom already spoke english having crossed the atlantic in the other way previously is that is that right that's
1: that's that's absolutely true um you know uh, there were a, a couple and uh, that facilitated that that happy accident of history is probably one of the reasons that the pilgrims were able to survive is that they were able to find people that they could communicate right. with and, and work with
0: unlike Most the jamestown crowd
1: squanto who became you know the the kind of peace broker between the indigenous people and the pilgrims, and uh, he was an incredibly fascinating and complex character in his own right.
0: So will there be a change of mood in this this section?
1: Yeah, you're going to start by hearing a a little set piece, which is uh, a depiction of the journey across, uh, and uh, an absolutely fantastic depiction of the storm, and then a little bit of the joy of the arrival in Cape Cod.
0: Let's listen to uh, an excerpt from the second part of Mayflower on the Sea of Time, which is entitled Arrival in a New World. was a excerpt from Part 2, Arrival at the New World, from Mayflower on the Sea of Time, conducted by our good friend Ken Woods. You know, Ken, when you do this in the U.S., I'll be the first guy to buy a ticket, I promise.
1: Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, I think it's a piece that will have a long life with American audiences. It's, it's uh, so engaging and so dramatic, and it's a great vehicle to bring the community together, uh, you know, we don't. We have some, you know, great, great Christmas pieces, uh, Nutcracker and the Messiah. Yep. I don't think we yet have had a great Thanksgiving. Perfect work until for this one.
0: Perfect. For that. Now we're going to play another, a briefer excerpt. Which part of the uh, oratorio is this from?
1: This is still from part two. Um, and this is a, a scene depicting the children uh, of the community as, as you know, people begin to build what they hope will be something like a normal life, and so the children are given a, a chance to speak for themselves. You hear there's a playful element in in the music, but also that reality that you know the the children's lives were at risk so, as, as well.
0: Well, uh, let's let's listen to this uh, additional excerpt from Arrival. At the New World, from Mayflower on the Sea of Time, composed by Philip Sawyer. section from part two of Mayflower on the Sea of Time and, and Ken Woods two things, number one what an orchestrator is Philip Sawyer's and number two he writes such memorable themes for the voice and the chorus he's it's, it's very communicative
1: it's, uh, it's incredible his writing for the voice um, and English is not a, a singer's language, you know, it's not easy to set uh, and, and to make it sound natural but also to give it some lyrical lilt that comes much more naturally in Italian or French um, is, is an incredible thing. And, and yeah, Philip has this great knack for just coming up with material that your ear can grab onto right. and then developing it in a way that your ear can follow.
0: And I take it that the reaction of the audience reaction must have been fantastic.
1: Oh, it was incredible! But it uh, it was interesting when we got to the end of the piece, which we'll hear later in the program. It's really thrilling, and it was an incredibly long silence, and then the building exploded. But there was a little moment there where we thought, "Are they going to clap?" They were <laughs> stunned. They were stunned. They were they were stunned. And when when you get to that last excerpt, I think you'll you'll see why, because uh, it really is an incredible ending.
0: Well, I'm talking to conductor. Kenneth Woods about his recording with the English Symphony Orchestra and the English Symphony Chorus of Philip Sawyer's Mayflower on the Sea of Time, an oratorio about celebrating the 400th anniversary of Mayflower setting out from England to Plymouth Rock. And we'll take a short break and be right back. With conductor Kenneth Woods of the English Symphony Orchestra, we're listening to an amazing new work by English composer Philip Sawyers about the Mayflower. It's entitled Mayflower on the Sea of Time. We've listened to sections one and two. And Ken, what is the next excerpt from which section?
1: Uh, We're going to go into part three now. And this is really, you know, as life begins to take on, some of the qualities of normal life. And, of course, I think when you're living in difficult circumstances, it's important in a community to establish as much normalcy as you can. And uh, so there's a sort of symphonic aspect to this oratorio. Uh, It's clearly divided into four sections, as a symphony would be, and this one really corresponds to a symphonic scherzo, playful, dance-like, full of humor. Uh, Scherzo is originally an Italian word meaning joke anyway. And uh, so here we hear kind of um, the humorous side of life at, at Plymouth Rock, uh, the gossip.
0: <laughs> Among the, the Puritans.
1: Yeah, uh, the occasional intoxication, all all of that sort of playful, witty, flirty side of, of life in a new community.
0: And this section is entitled Survival in the Making of Our Community. And I must say to our listeners, I've read a great deal about the Puritans that first came here, and they had a lot more fun than than you would expect so let's listen Survival and the Making of Our Community, Part Three of Philip Sawyer's *Mayflower on the Sea of Time*. That is very winning music, Kenwood.
1: Isn't it? It's just thrilling to listen to. I mean, you mentioned his genius for the orchestra. I mean, it's just really, you know, Wagner, Strauss, Mahler level of mastery of orchestration. It's so witty, virtuosic. It all works together beautifully and the writing for the voices is, is so clever you know the setting of the text the way he orchestrates the bits where the ladies are saying Shh, don't tell on her you know it's just, I, I i just love it and i love contemporary music of great seriousness of purpose that can make you smile also um and and that section always leaves me
0: well, that's smiling very here. broadly you've got that here um is it different conducting the orchestra from the, from the chorus?
1: Um, There's somewhat different skill sets, um, mostly in terms of the specifics of, you know, how you rehearse them and what they need. And at the end of the day, you know, the, the singers are um, more dependent on your help uh, than, than the musicians in the orchestra generally are. Um this was a very unusual one because uh, of the nature of the space and the size of the chorus and everything. Normally the choir in a piece like this would be behind the orchestra. and So there's this distance problem as well between choir and conductor. In this case, the choir was right in the front
0: between oh. me
1: and the orchestra. Interesting. Um, and of course we're in Moster Cathedral which is a glorious but very reverberant sound. So um, i would never been so far from an orchestra in such a reverberant space, as I well, was in this. It's a huge credit to the members of the orchestra that they were able to adjust so quickly to that. You know, different well, sight lines, different uh, hearing relationships, and you having the chorus not singing over them, but in front of them. You know, so it's much harder for them to hear the chorus, to adjust to them as well.
0: Must be. You guys are family by now, so it must have worked out just fine. What is our and go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say, yeah, um, the it, it's such an extraordinary group of, of people, the English Symphony Orchestra. I am so, so grateful to work with them and you know, this is, as a group of musicians and, and colleagues and people, the depth of preparation and energy and commitment they bring to projects like this, it's, well, it's it. awe inspiring You
0: hear it. You do. So we have a, another rather brief excerpt. What section of the oratorio is this from?
1: So the fourth and final section of the piece is by far the longest and most uh, emotionally complex, and we're going to hear the beginning of part four now. And this is the first Thanksgiving. And I just this is to me one of the most thrilling wow. parts of, of the oratorio, um, and really shows what you can do when the whole orchestra and the chorus cuts loose like this and with this absolute sort of blazing sense of of joy and celebration
0: well the fourth section is entitled Our New World let's listen that is filled with thanksgiving and uh, a kind of gratitude comes through that music
1: yeah i'm not sure those emotions have ever been more powerfully expressed in a choral and orchestral work um, you know the idea of thanksgiving is uh, you know one that great composers have expressed in lots of ways and you know maybe the most famous is the uh, Hymn of Thanksgiving in Beethoven's Opus 132 String Quartet, but that's very meditative and prayerful and peaceful, whereas this you know, is just so exultant and, uh, thrilling. Uh, uh, you know, and it's exciting to feel like even in our time, composers are finding new ways to express different facets of the human experience, um, you know, in a way that can help us connect with each other uh, you know, in a a new way
0: and maybe, you know the fact is they're staying within a broadly tonal uh, context therefore the human ear can take it in and and enjoy it immediately rather than scratch their heads
1: yeah, I think that's true and one of the great things about Philip is that he has a a real masterful sense of tension and release
0: yeah, um, I mean it's, it's it's, it's not predictable.
1: Absolutely. And so in the excerpt that you just heard, the introductory section is, uh, before the voices enters, is actually quite dissonant and thorny. And in fact, he's using a, a 12-note melody there, you know, a la oh. Um And I think the problem that a lot of people have with 20th century, highly dissonant music is that it's all dissonant, not that it has dissonance in it. And in that sense, you know, the dissonance ceases to have a meaningful function, whereas in this case, he writes a couple minutes of music of increasing tension and really pushing it to sort of the breaking point of what the ear can take. And then there's this apotheosis of, you know, sublimely joyful major key music. Um, Well, the uh,
0: whole point of, of dissonance is to create an expectation for some sort of Fulfillment, some sort of, uh, how shall I put it, reuniting at some point in mm. the future of the music.
1: Exactly. And I think, you know, as we can't come out of the mid 20th century uh, period in which tonal music of any kind was kind of sneered at, um, one of the first answers to that were movements like minimalism, which is essentially all consonant. Um, which I don't find
0: no, much more it, it interesting. it hasn't lasted. Music that's
1: all dissonant. You know, you need that language that can express the whole breadth of the human experience uh, in, in music, and I think Philip does that really masterfully.
0: Well said. So we're going to listen to another excerpt from Part 4, Our New World. What should we expect?
1: So as Part 4 unfolds, it's more... Meditative. It sums up aspects of the journeys of the, some of the different characters that we've been on, and looks to the future and begins to draw connections with our time. Um, and uh, so many of the characters that we've met in the course of the journey, like the family of the the Wilmslows, uh, Edward and Susanna, and Peregrine, who we heard from in the, the scene with the children, tell us, you know, how their stories ended. And one of those is Squanto, the, the representative of the, the Natives who brokered a, a collaborative relationship between these two communities. And um, I think it's, it's wonderful the way that he's given voice in this work in a way that expresses a complex uh, and, and fully rendered humanity as opposed to just being... Uh, you know, either an idealized token right. indigenous person, or a voice of uh, particular grievance. His, right. his view is nuanced and complex.
0: Well, let's listen to another excerpt from Part Four of the oratorial Mayflower on the Sea. back. Another segment from the fourth part of Mayflower on the Sea of Time by Philip Sawyers. Again, of course, your solo voices are wonderful. Thomas Humphreys and April Fredericks, who we've heard before with the English Symphony Orchestra. And uh, Yeah,
1: I mean, it's funny how these uh, things come together. April has been a, a, a dear friend and close collaborator at uh, the Orchestra of the Swan, where I was before ESO at ESO at Colorado Mahler Fest, and we've made many recordings together, uh, maybe most famously the first recording of John Javert's opera, Jane Eyre, in which she played the, the title role. She's an incredible artist and singer and colleague. And uh, Thomas, this was my first encounter with him, and in fact uh, we had a, a sort of issue with it, Artist withdrawing, and uh, amazingly, he, he took the piece on with about two and a half weeks' notice, maybe. Well, he's
0: and, a real fine. Uh, he's a fine.
1: He's incredible, wonderful yeah. colleague, wonderful guy. Uh, during the COVID years, he actually took on a job as a police officer in huh. London, uh, and and really threw himself into it. And I was so pleased this autumn. Uh, that he got invited by the legendary pianist Maria Yapp Parish to do a tour singing Schubert Lieder with her Fantastic. all over Europe. So he's been off singing in, in the very greatest halls in the world with one of the greatest pianists
0: of all time. Well, well I have and a suggestion. W- w- mm? I have a suggestion, Ken. Let's hear it. Now that the English Symphony Orchestra's chorus, you take Thomas Humphreys and record Drift.
1: Oh, Delius. wouldn't that be wonderful?
0: Because he's I got, would, I'm would just noticing them. how how well his voice would fit into that piece. Absolutely. And then you it's could take Thomas good. and April Frederick and have them do Delius's idol, or ittle, for mm. soprano and baritone. Well, anyway, I, I digress. I, I'm I sorry. think
1: that's an excellent idea. You might be interested to know that um, as a result of this whole project, uh, Philip, was uh, inspired to write a song cycle for Thomas Humphreys. So he's he's in the oh, process
0: excellent.
1: of uh, finishing that up now. So that might be another uh ESL project another
0: moment. Of... It's
1: initially for piano and voice, but I think he's gonna orchestrate it too.
0: Well he's he's got that gift of writing for voices. So we come to our last excerpt from Mayflower on the Sea of Time. What are we going to hear?
1: So as the work reaches its conclusion I think the themes get less historical and more metaphysical you know, it's less about telling the story of the pilgrims themselves but using the story as a metaphor for the human experience that we're all pilgrims in a sense, that we're all on a journey uh, that we all sail the sea of time together um, and it's a wonderfully touching uh, song of sort of solidarity and community you know, with this uh, It's sort of, I would go so far as to say it's a bit Philip's take on All I mentioned, Verden Bruder from Beethoven 9, All Men Shall Be Brothers, you know, My Time, Your Time, My Boat, Your Boat, Um, a a wonderful coming together uh, of of celebration, uh, you know, sort of accepting that in this imperfect world, you know, we all sail the same sea together, uh, and the ending is just as thrilling a page of music as I've ever heard.
0: That's saying a lot. So again, we're listening to Philip Sawyer's oratorio commemorating the 400th anniversary of the sailing of the Mayflower from England to America. And it is entitled Mayflower on the Sea of Time. And we're listening now to the ending of it. The fourth section, Our New World. Let's listen. sat there silently, because I'm kind of stunned myself.
1: <laughs> it's really something, isn't it? Um, you know, I think sometimes critics have a hard time wrapping their heads around the idea of very public pieces of music, whether it's Beethoven 9 or Mahler 8 or Belshazzar's Feast or something. But these are really important works to have. You know, it's important to have pieces that can bring a community together Singers and musicians and listeners, you know, in something really communal and celebratory. And they're not easy to write. You know, (laughs) that's one reason there's so few of them. And I think Philip has done a great service to music in writing this piece. Well, the
0: word, the word masterpiece comes to my mind. Uh, maybe too early to say that. Not
1: his first either. (laughs) uh, we're very lucky to have him, uh, writing and, 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 you know, creating in this day and age.
0: I must say the folks in Worcester must have been very happy with this. Thrilled, yeah,
1: and and I mean for all of us, you know, the musicians, the singers in the choir, you know, we we, we all felt like we were part of something historic and and important. It was just so wonderful to see uh... the musicians, uh... you know, thanking both Philip Groom and Philip Sawyer's and, and telling them how much they loved the music and, and were excited to be there. Um, you know that that sense of you know again coming together between composer and performer, which doesn't always happen on these occasions.
0: Um, well, no, and real this, you can tell from this recording, by, which is on Nimbus, by the way, on the Nimbus label, that uh, this was an occasion a real celebration of the music. I mean, you can ju- it just comes through, Ken.
1: Yeah, it, it it does, and I mean I think that's just all down to uh, you know the hard work of my colleagues and, and the, the great creative inspiration of, of, of the no. Philips.
0: Also you. We'll, we'll include mm-hmm. you in that. So,
1: Well, I was uh, certainly giving it my all. There's no doubt about <laughs> I that. But I you, you know, there's just the, the moments as a conductor where you reach for something right. that seems impossible and, and get it. And when we were in the performance uh, of, of, of the work, that very last long sustained brass chord.
0: Right.
1: Of course, we'd done a number of times in um, in the rehearsal, uh, and we got there, and I held it just a little bit dangerously long,
0: and then <laughs> sort
1: of looked at them and asked them to give me just a little bit more.
0: More. and I love I, it.
1: And you know, that's just when when that happens when they give you something that. You know, physics says they shouldn't be able to give. That's what, you know, making music is all about. You know, finding that something extra yes. that transcends the limits of the instrument and how tired we are and how much our lips hurt and how much air we have left in our lungs, you know. And, you know, bless them for that. And yeah. Well, sort of, please,
0: convey you know, <laughs> please convey to Philip Sawyer... I asked him, too. Please convey to Philip Sawyer how much we loved his piece... And, uh, I want to thank you too, Ken, for bringing us this piece and for taking the time to be on Church and Cultural again.
1: It's a, it's a joy as always, and, you know, I have to encourage your listeners not just to buy the CT, but, you know, maybe send a copy to your local orchestra and see if you can get it programmed. Amen. it be a, a very accessible and enjoyable experience for choirs Amen. and orchestras all over the United States.
0: Well, thank you again, Ken, and to all of you who are listening. I'll be back in a moment with another wonderful guest.